What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listeners, to the 259th chapter of the QAA podcast, the Pilled in the Peak District, the Crestbrook Dale Saga, part two episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rakotansky, Annie Kelly, Julian Fields, and Travis View. Welcome back, listeners, to part two of two of the Crestbrook Dale Saga for the QAA podcast. If you haven't already listened to the first episode discussing the happenings in this remote part of the Peak District, I recommend you catch up before listening to this episode. For those of you who have listened but need a refresher, here's the story so far. In June 2022, the sleepy village of Crestbrook, Derbyshire, with a population of about 175 people, woke up to discover that part of the vast swathe of land that borders their home, known as Crestbrook Dale, had been sold. One of the new owners quickly introduced themselves on the local Facebook page. Certain things they said set off alarm bells to the residents there, namely that they were planning to turn the land into a quote, food forest, to nourish the whole community for what they called the predicted food apocalypse. When the locals did some more digging, they found the new landowners seemed to have a very keen interest in conspiracy theories about the COVID pandemic, vaccines, and something called the Great Reset, an upcoming dystopian future featuring strict surveillance and food shortages. Although the new landowners, a group by the name of Phoenix Rose, claimed to be leaderless, there was one member who, thanks to a brief stint on reality TV in the early 2000s and an active social media presence, had risen to prominence above the others and become its de facto public face. That person was Rachel Elnor, who now regularly posted videos on the platforms YouTube and Odyssey, where she wandered around the land, pontificating on recent events and their connection to a hidden grand plan by what she calls the powers that shouldn't be. Mm, I see what she did there. That's that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Here she is, for example, discussing the recent devastating fires in Maui and their surprising connection to the hated 15-minute city. Hey, beautiful people. Wow, it's been an intense few weeks, hasn't it? Uh, what with the Maui fires. And uh, I wasn't even actually aware of the Maui fires, but um, someone drew my attention to them and I then um, went online, saw all of the mainstream media reports. Oh, it's climate change, it's wildfires. And then, of course, uh, did a little bit uh, deeper investigation and really learn a lot about the history of Maui, uh, how it was uh, originally taken from the people um, of Hawaii, the tribal people, and essentially handed over to uh, become part of the United States. And of course, Maui is one of the 15-minute um, cities, one of the kind of state-of-the-art uh, carbon-neutral cities that they're wanting to create. And uh, of course, they can't do that unless uh, they can somehow get all of the um the people who live there to uh to sell their properties oh this is uh very cute i love to look up wikipedia and just kind of you know oh uh, maui it is the uh, third most popular <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would be shocked if she was getting her information from wikipedia i think it's this is all telegram channels all the way down i'm certain of it well that's cool that they stand up for the indigenous people as well as claiming there's direct energy weapons yeah is this her? Is this her sort of brand now? The the sort of walking through the forest and talking. Mm, 
It seems like yeah. this is kind of the yeah. the meter of her videos now. Yeah, it's a it's a Miyazaki film where a, a, this kind of a British elven creature comes out and talks to you about uh, QAnon. Yeah, but a little bit, but they're hiking maybe a little bit too fast. Yeah, out of breath. <laughs> a little bit out of breath. Not the not the best place you want to be in for a video, but uh, to each their own. It's okay. The uh, 5G towers are both giving her all kinds of diseases and also allowing her to uh, make her videos. No, it was actually funny that I'd watched so many of these videos by the time I traveled to Crestbrookdale that when I was like walking through Crestbrookdale, I like had like a second vision where I could I could see where I was in Rachel's videos. You switched oh. you switched to a third person <laughs> view for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I could almost like I could I could suddenly like place myself in her videos. It was yeah, a really funny, funny yeah. experience. Unfortunately, due to uh, you know the kind of tempo of satellite images, she now shows up on Google Earth. You just see a, a person looking into a phone, <laughs> walking in various different parts of Crestbrookdale. <laughs> The relationship between the locals and Cressbrookdale's new landowners had gotten off to a bad start early on, with Cressbrook's original inhabitants alarmed by what they saw as a plan to transform the wild, untamed Dale beyond recognition with music festivals, agriculture, and even possible settlement. By the time I came to visit Cressbrook in October 2022, the relations between Cressbrookdale's new owners and the locals had severely deteriorated. Much of the village had organised itself into the Save Cressbrookdale campaign, which alleged that the new landowners were illegally ruining the area's natural beauty and demanded action from the Peak District National Park Authority, who had already sent out official notices demanding a temporary stop on any works going on on the land. Oh, this is good. I think uh, we're a few weeks away from them taking to the trees and uh, her having watched uh, a certain <laughs> movie deciding that she's Navi and they're now shooting... <laughs> Arrows down. <laughs> Phoenix Rose, in turn, alleged that it was the locals who were behaving illegally, carrying out a campaign of vigilante action, harassment and vandalism in order to drive the newcomers off the land. It had apparently gotten so bad that the group had been forced to call the police on several occasions. Rachel Elnor, in the very last email she sent to me before she stopped replying altogether, seemed to reference this. Hi, Annie. Many thanks for the invitation. However, I'm not in a position to discuss Crestbrook Dale at the moment, given that a criminal investigation is currently underway. In Rachel's videos where she wonders Crestbrook Dale, she would often take time to point out various acts of vandalism, such as people ripping down signs, stealing tools, and deliberately destroying the steps that the newcomers had built on the land. Someone's vandalised another one of our beautiful steps. So I'm just going to make it safe. Yeah, because of course this campaign is uh, its all about power and control. It's nothing to do with the people or the safety. Because um, these amazing steps which were put in place by one of, uh, one of our members took the initiative to create these because before where these steps currently are, before it was just a slippery, steep, muddy slope um, on which quite a few people slipped and fell when we were looking at the land. And also some of our members have walking disabilities. So it was extremely tricky for them to walk the land, just taking out the stakes, stake through the heart. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, we've had many messages of gratitude and appreciation from the walkers who come here because of course this is a public footpath and it makes it so much easier to walk. So uh, 
why anyone would want to vandalize these steps well there's only one reason it's pure hatred and because uh because the locals believe that uh they have the right uh they don't believe in that anyone else has any rights i'm so happy my mom is not pilled that's <laughs> <laughs> what i keep thinking looking at oh, these yeah, videos I'm sorry to sorry to interrupt this regular broadcast but um julian the blood feud's back on i know we temporarily halted it because of our important work that we were doing on man clan but i heard what you said about coming to my mum's house and defiling her bathtub in the last episode of Spectral Voyager. So it's back. Barely remember this? (laughs) What what did I say I would do in the bathtub? (laughs) I can't remember. You said you would come to my mum's house and you would defile her bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) I believe the words diarrhea were mentioned. (laughs) Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because I would never do anything inappropriate, but let's just say I was bursting with, you know, I mean, it's it's only fair. Mm-mm. The toilet couldn't handle it. Mm-mm. Don't look at me like that, Jake, like disappointed Mm-mm. mother. <laughs> no, no, continue to look at him disappointedly, Jake. It's the least he deserves. Okay, well, I take it back <laughs> and I hope the bathtub is doing well and I hope, <laughs> hey, listen, I hope the ghost, um, you know, gets the work done that they've started. <laughs> the video description which showed the alleged vandalism urged anyone with any information about it to get in contact with the police if you have any information regarding the criminal damage to the steps of crestbrook dale please report this to the derbyshire police this is the eighth crime report we have had to make regarding theft vandalism antisocial behavior and hate crimes inflicted on us by what we believe are a small group of vigilantes from the local community who have taken the law into their own hands. The police have advised us to gather evidence on all of the crimes committed and we will not hesitate to prosecute the offenders. (laughs) The police, can you imagine the Derbyshire police getting a call and they're like, somebody's, somebody's vandalized three steps. Well, that, that is actually the average crime in the UK. So <laughs> the police are very used to this. They're like, oh, well, this is, this is actually uh, more violent than what we're used to. Excuse me, miss. Uh, how many steps would you say have been vandalized? Uh, more than three. More than three. All right, we'll bump this up then. <laughs> this will go ahead of the uh, someone unwaxed my lawn gnome <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and uh, a child, uh, a teenager spat towards my doorknob. When I asked locals about this, they denied any knowledge. In fact, they claimed that their objection to the steps in the first place had been that they weren't built to regulation and were therefore unstable and unsafe. But I would also learn that what Rachel had mentioned in her videos were in fact the very least strange part of what she called the local hate campaign. When I stayed in Cressbrook last year, one place I visited was the Village Club. The club is the kind of communal amenity that you rarely see in this country these days. It was built in the days when Cressbrook Mill was still open, as a space for workers and their families to socialise without dipping into the licentious and sinful behaviours that so many Victorian reformers feared tempted the working classes. Nowadays it operates as a committee-run local pub with volunteer staff, only open a couple of nights per week at most. It was here that I got chatting with Johnny and Helena. They are a young couple. Helena has long blonde hair and Johnny has a dark beard and he wears a dapper looking newsboy cap. Okay, well, come on. Come on. Let's let's not fulfill every single one of our stereotypes. (laughs) 
Helena told me that she grew up in Cressbrook and has many happy memories of walking through the dale. When she first invited Johnny to visit, she said that she took him to the dale to impress him. When I asked if it worked, Johnny pointed out that he'd lived in the village about three years at this point, so clearly it hadn't hurt. Helena spoke very movingly to me about how the purchase of the land by Phoenix Rose had made the locals feel. I've said before that there's a feeling of grief in uh, people who visit, who love the place and people who live here. And um, I think the grief, usually with grief, you're feeling a loss of something that you didn't fully appreciate before you lost it. So a person or a place or a home. I think with here, it was so special that every single person that visited and lives here absolutely knew what we had. And so to lose it was even more painful because there was such an awareness before we lost it. So far, most people I'd spoken to had been primarily concerned with the impact of Elnor's group on the local environment, and Johnny and Helena were no exception. They told me about how the group had taken down an old dry stone wall and replaced it with a new one. I had actually seen the group posting about this online, and honestly, it looked like a fun and harmless activity. But Johnny and Helena said that in doing so, they had damaged local habitats for the small animals and insects that had lived in the old wall. Nonetheless, a bit like Phil, the couple had their concerns about Rachel and her fellow travellers' beliefs too, and how those could potentially shape their attitude to the land and the people already living there. They said that they and some of the other younger people from the village had been monitoring both Rachel's videos and the public telegram groups attached to her channel, and what they had seen uploaded in them disturbed them. There's a lot of people that think, oh, you know, she's an anti-vaxxer, that's her most uh, yeah, extreme belief. That's the all. tip of the bit, <laughs> iceberg. That's and I like think, yeah, yeah that, that's right at the top. That's yeah. reasonable, and you know? The further down you go, even before you get subsurface, it just gets more and more concerning. But, but I think there needs to be an understanding that this group doesn't operate within a logical sphere, that, that it starts at anti-vax and, you know, it's not a logical, hey, this isn't safe for some people, there are some menstrual issues that come from this or heart issues that come from this, it's there is a chip implanted in this and that is the top level of crazy. Um, so I think that there's a lack of understanding generally in the area about, about the beliefs of these people but that's the fear. The fear from people who know about this is that that this level of chaos is coming in, not necessarily to our area but into the general fabric of society. But the thing that concerned both of them the most, the couple made clear to me, was the very tangible, physical antagonism that had manifested between the villagers and the newcomers. It made being in the Dale, once a place of tranquility and idyllic rural charm, feel scary and hostile. The land they've bought, much to their frustration, is access land. Uh, so basically people can walk on it, they can have picnics on it, they can sort of do what they want on it, obviously as long as it's not illegal. Um, and also they've bought land with loads of public footpaths through it. I don't think they realised that they bought land that was access land and had public footpaths on it because they get incredibly frustrated when people use the public footpath when they're there. One of my favourite instances is uh, I was going through, uh, I, think, I think I was with Helena, and we had decided to take the dog for a walk on the land through the footpath and then back along the footpath because I think that was sort of part of I believe that people should still use the land regardless of how they felt or if they felt intimidated or whatever. So we walked on and immediately someone on the car park decided to fly a drone after us. So they filmed us the entire time we walked on the land. We sat down for 10 minutes. They filmed us the entire time we sat down. 
They followed us all the way back. And when we got back, they were sort of motioning, you know, get the drone down, like make sure they can't see it. What That's what it felt like anyway. So that happened. Um, I kind of said while the drone was still in flight, look, I don't like that you filmed me. You followed me with the drone. It's a bit weird. And the guy turned around. He was like, well, it's perfectly legal because it's access land. I was like, okay, I'm not going to dispute that. That's fine. Wow. A fucking drone? <laughs> I know. Yeah. That is bizarre. It is. And it's, I don't know. It's so interesting to me because so much of what Rachel talks about is like surveillance and the great reset and, you know, kind of being, being watched, being monitored, being scrutinized. But yeah, I mean, that's like a, a really physical example of that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And also, it seems to me that, you know, most of her brand is somebody who is out in nature. They are uh, connected. They are reconnecting with the sort of uh, rituals of, of pre-modern uh, technology humans. And yet here she is, you know, you know, I just imagine her with the the VR drone goggles on, you know, crouched in a bush, uh, you know, no, thumbing the of sticks. Of course, that's, that's the paradox is that these are two online <laughs> boomers so these these people are very like into the tech they're very into making videos from the land which probably there were very few videos made from Crestbrook Dale until she decided to start you know making this whole thing into a fucking live stream land it's like we scraped up enough we scraped up enough money uh, to put some money back into the Dale uh, what's the first thing we should do oh, I'm thinking uh, maybe some seeds uh, we can replant some of the plants uh, trampled by uh, unruly tourists she was like I think that we should invest in a fleet of drones. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, it seemed like many of the villagers were determined not to be frightened away, and with that in mind had begun organising activities with the purpose of encouraging each other to keep exercising their rights to walk the land. One such activity Johnny told me about was the introduction of nighttime bat walks on the property, although this didn't go unnoticed. So we decided to start doing bat walks as well. The um, Crestbrook Bat Watching Society. Yeah, so a bunch of us decided to start, because there's a lot of rare bats there, we decided to start walking down to watch the bats. And there was one occasion where a guy jumped out of the caravan that they have on the site, followed us, very erratic, very wide eyes, scary smile, started saying, I want to join your bat walk. What are you doing? This is really petty. Why are you here? Why are you here at this time? This is really weird. And he asked for validity, I think. He said, what's your favourite type of bat? And we answered. And he just looked us dead in the eye and went, that's pathetic. Yeah. So we kept walking and there was a group of about eight of us and we're sort of a lot of different ages from like, I think like 18 to all the way up to like in, in the 50s. So it's like quite a diverse group of people. And they started walking on um, and the, me and someone else were at the back and this guy kept following us. I mean, he was probably like, probably like a foot from me. He was very, very close. It was really uncomfortable. Kept going at us saying he wanted to join. And then we stopped and just said, can you leave us alone? Don't follow us, we're on a public footpath. We've not done anything wrong. And then he starts like bending over and like kind of like curling up a little bit while he stood up and like smiling and like manically laughing um, and clutching something in his pocket. So at this point I was like, okay, both hands in his pockets by the way, but one hand was sort of like clutched and I was like, right, step back, de-escalate this situation, I'm not comfortable at all, you know, leave us alone, go away. And I said, look, if you sort of come near me or follow me or get in my face, I will contact the police, I'm not fussed about that. And he said, well, no, you're harassing me. So he called the police on the spot, said he was being harassed. Uh, and then we just walked down, kept 
going on with our walk because we knew we hadn't done anything wrong at this point. And essentially that was that. Like it, We went back because we kind of had to go back that way as well. And he was sat outside clearly after the phone call. His demeanour had really changed. And at that point, Helena kind of talked to him about bats for ages. <laughs> and then we went home. I mean, this is kind of sad because everyone's like doing things at each other. Like no one's actually enjoying themselves anymore. You know, well, I guess we now have a bat society. Well, I guess I'm now following you, but I'm not. Well, you're harassing us. No, I'm harassing. No, you. And and then, oh, well, let's call the police. No one's enjoying themselves anymore. That's this is kind of a, a, the age old ritual of uh, getting in a long standing dispute with your neighbors. This is this is a British tradition, really. Yeah. Yeah, just now with added conspiracy theories. Yeah, and it's sad that it was just like a place that people could walk. And um, and now that everyone has to think about all of these things when they decide to go for a stroll. Travis, yeah. what would you do if, you're, if your beautiful mountain town, you know, the paths that you like to hike on, all of a sudden became inhabited by uh, strange uh, uh, worm-tongue-style uh, creatures? Or, or maybe we should ask the people who were there before, what do they think about a podcast <laughs> taking over their land? <laughs> well, obviously, I would start running a psyop by... Uh, um, exploiting these people's paranoia by making them believe that they're being surveilled or haunted in some way. I could take advantage of strange noises, uh, uh, drone surveillance um, that, are, that follows them. I mean, there's lots of things I could do to scare them away. Yeah, they should stay calm. It's not like you've installed a security camera or own a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, your silence is deafening. <laughs> I just assume all Americans own guns until I'm told otherwise. I don't. I, actually, I have two. I have three guns at my house, uh, okay. and one uh, is a uh, replica uh, uh, particle thrower from the uh, Ghostbusters proton pack. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, I have a uh, like a a pretty heavy duty airsoft rifle. Okay, and then I have a Nerf aliens uh, pulse rifle, the collector's Nerf gun. Um, so you know what? You're not wrong. Although none of my guns could hurt anybody, and uh, I don't know. Maybe I could come over and try to shoot all three of them at you at the same time. <laughs> If I, see if it does any damage. I mean, yeah. If I if I put an airsoft pellet through Julian's glasses, you know, <laughs> it probably would cause a little bit of damage. He wouldn't die. He wouldn't die. He would be mildly annoyed. He might try to hit me. I wouldn't walk through the public footpath in your house anymore. You should. That's for sure. <laughs> I would I would stop looking for. Bats. Oh, I also have two lightsabers. So those are two other weapons. Okay. I'm 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 actually gearing up to release a book and it's called I'm American all, all my guns are collectibles. <laughs> all my guns are toys. I'm America. I am American. Uh, all my cultures are IP. <laughs> While the bat walks might have been what in legal terminology is referred to as a bit cheeky. They hardly seem to my untrained eye to warrant either being referred to as a hate campaign or a criminal investigation. Having said that, they weren't the only bit of activism that the Save Cressbrook Dale campaign were engaged in. Every weekend, volunteers would marshal on the boundaries of the village to pass out flyers to walkers and people driving by, urging them to both keep exercising their right to walk the public access parts of the land and to put pressure on the Peak District National Park Authority to act. Although none of the material they distributed mentioned Rachel by name, and everyone was keen to stress it wasn't personal, I was conscious that she would have had to drive through this every time she visited the Dale on the weekends, which I could see might be a bit intimidating. But there was a separate, much more bizarre flyering campaign going on in this conflict, one which neither party would take responsibility for. 
Rachel never explicitly mentioned these to me, but plenty of villagers I spoke to did and even showed me copies. Supposedly, on the 17th of September 2022, mysterious flyers appeared on people's cars in Cressbrook. These were entirely red on one side and titled in large block capital white lettering, Hate Rachel Dale. Okay, I think we have another case of like uh, someone spray painting their driveway with uh, Black's Rule or whatever. (laughs) Now, as someone who's been to a lot of conspiracy related rallies for this very podcast, I've read a lot of strange activist literature in my time. But this absolutely had to be one of the weirdest things I'd ever read. Here's what the flyer says. The iconic limestone dale at Crestbrook in the Peak District National Park has just been sold to a group of people led by one-time TV personality Rachel Elna. If you search for Rachel Elna using a search engine on the internet, you'll see there is sufficient evidence to suggest that she is a conspiracy theorist who believes in food famines, fairies, and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Even though Rachel brought a platter of admittedly M&S bought chocolate brownies and strawberries to our well-dressing and offered to share her group's harvest of organic vegetables with everyone in the village, we could see that this was all just a publicity stunt. Don't trust Rachel as far as you can throw her. If you can throw her, the further, the better. Please understand, we're all very nice people in Crestbrook. Everyone is welcome here, just so long as you're not Rachel Elna. HateRachelDale.com Please share any juicy gossip you may have on Rachel with us at contact us at savecrestbrookdale.com. It doesn't matter to us whether you just make it all up. No fact checkers here. Okay. So this is 100% her. Yeah, Even though she's very nice and she bought the, uh, the like, who would know that she bought them at Marks and Spencer's? I mean, she, she, there's too many details. And there, it's like, she's very nice. She gives all the vegetables, but we hate her anyways. Yeah. This is... A, ah, an incredible honeypot. I almost want to steal this idea. It's like, it's like if you have any dirt on Travis, if you want to mm. smear him, just send your email <laughs> with your name to this email address. If you like, if you'd like to throw Travis, yeah. um, if you have any violent intent towards Travis, please send your, you know, your address and name here. Oh come on! I can't believe she started a hate campaign against herself. She had to go and register hateracheldale.com, which doesn't even make sense. Hate Rachel. And then just Dale? It doesn't... Yeah, some poor woman out there named Rachel Dale is going to get, you know, all (laughs) sorts of botherings. This is an incredible move by Rachel. Good for her. She's really... She's escalating the hatred against herself. Yeah, definitely just one of the weirdest things I've I've ever read in this job, which involves reading a lot of weird things. Rachel, who is nice and pretty and is very (laughs) kind, is the worst person I have ever met. (laughs) I would like to do violence to her. No punching, no kicking, only throwing. (laughs) (laughs) The Hate Rachel Dale website, when I checked it, redirected to the Save Crestbrook Dale campaign website that Phil had first shown me. Now, every local I've spoken to denies any involvement, and in fact, most of them allege something more serious. That Elnor herself was responsible for the material. Um, Let me apply my detective skills. Correct. (laughs) Yes. Detective Julian on the scene. Yes, I am here saying 100% it was Rachel. She had to add fairies into her belief to make it sound weird. It's like, because she clearly believes the other stuff. I'm just imagining Julian as like a Blade Runner, like hunting down a cybernetic Rachel, in, you know, in the Crestbrook Dale. I feel like that would be cool. You should get like a cool trench coat and a... No, I do not hunt down old ladies. Well, if they're cybernetic, I mean, if they're replicants, yeah. Hey, whatever allows you to dehumanize somebody and, and do the, the weird things that you're clearly thinking about all the time. Well, I just thought of Julian as a detective and I was like, what kind of detective? 
detective would he be? And I was like, a Blade Runner would be cool because I did just cool. recently watch the the okay. Blade Runner remake. That's true. So it was just kind of like in my head. I wasn't trying to dehumanize Rachel, and I I apologize if I did so. Okay, things got very serious. I think this is also a cyborg. I'll be executing him <laughs> and Rachel. <laughs> The Save Cressbrook Dale campaign website in their FAQ section says this. The Hate Rachel Dale flyers appeared on Cars in the Village on Saturday, 17th of September, 2022. At the same time, Rachel Elnaw announced on her Telegram channel that the Village had created these. Rachel Elnaw's son was observed placing the flyers on Village residents' cars, and Rachel Elnaw gave one of these flyers to a passerby in front of our marshals. It therefore seems very likely that Rachel Elnaw is the author. Oh, man, simply don't have your son be the one putting it on the cars, <laughs> if I were you. It wasn't the only bit of anonymous counter-warfare that the Save Crestbrook Dale campaign had encountered. Jenny, the Zimbabwean woman that we briefly heard from in the first episode, also told me about another mysterious campaign that had begun popping up around the same time, ostensibly for an environmental cause, banning the use of white plastic, but which seemed to be a passive-aggressive reference to the villagers' use of materials for their own signs. We've also had a very strange thing where um, our, uh, our banners and posters are on white plastic, which actually, when we created, we did think about and we thought, well, you know, that's not great for the environment. What will we do with all of this stuff when the campaign is over and have plans for an art installation to reuse the plastic and create something from it? But, you know, it is the best material to put things out in, in the weather. However, we suddenly had a whole lot of white plastic banners appear throughout the village and posters and trees and fences and, and walls and things that said banwhiteplastic.com and pointed back to the, to the Save Cresbrook Dale site. And one of them actually is still, I think, attached to the caravan up on the site. So that sort of thing, you know, that's obviously not being created by us. Wait, so there's layers of white plastic now. There's the white plastic that yeah. says ban white plastic and then there's the white plastic that says please stop using this yes. land and then okay that is correct this <laughs> this this village is oh oh things are bad <laughs> when my husband paul and i walked through Cresbrookdale ourselves we noticed two things one was that the locals weren't exaggerating it really was a stunning part of the world Huge limestone cliffs jutted out in the distance ahead of us, while to our immediate right, densely forested rolling hills extended down to the valley below. As you descend down the hill, aided by the same controversial steps that the newcomers had built, you enter a wooded area with a busy brook at the bottom. The whole atmosphere changes in a second from vast dramatic views to what feels like its own separate, untamed little world. A few of the villagers in our conversations had described the place as magical, and I could absolutely see what they meant. The further you walked, the more you felt like you were entering a fairy tale. But undoubtedly a weird atmosphere had been created by the antagonism between the two factions too. We passed several other walkers who all said hello, but having heard stories of unpleasant and awkward altercations, it was difficult not to feel a little on guard, in a way you rarely do walking in the English countryside. This tense atmosphere wasn't helped by a number of polite but slightly strange signs all over the place. There were multiple signs attached to the caravan parked at the very entrance of the Dale, which referenced the local hate campaign, either directly or obliquely. This vehicle itself was one of the major points of contention between Cressbrook Dale's new owners and the villagers. The villagers saw it as an eyesore and symbolic of the new owner's carelessness with the natural beauty of the land. But Rachel had said to me and other journalists that it was a necessary security measure due to local vandalism and theft when her group had left their tools on the land. 
Here's me reading out just a small section of the notices that were attached all over the vehicle. Right, so we're at the caravan, which Rachel said that they've had to put on site to stop their tools being stolen by local vigilantes. And there's a few signs up there. There's a little sign with a sweet little cartoon cow that says farm security. And then there is official looking blue notice that says, important, this communication may affect your walk. Peace and happiness of 2022. This is a formal notice to let you know that on 25th of July 2022, we made the above peace preservation order. In simple terms, no one is allowed to be unkind to us or anyone else while on our land. There is an important expediency argument for placing a PPC on this land. It's recently changed ownership, which has raised fears amongst some of the local residents about potential damage and destruction of the woodland. These fears have in turn manifested in the actual damage destruction and violation of our property. This order came into notice on the 25th of July 2022 and will remain in force forever. People enraged by this order have the right to a free anger management sessions from one of the trained therapists in our community. By order, signed and dated, Kermit, on behalf of the Crestbrook Dale Estate Private Members Association. So please note, if you do not comply with the terms of this peace preservation order, you will soon see more fences, barbed wire, gates, signage and security cameras, plus the increased involvement of the police. Yes, another great British tradition, passive aggression. I love that yeah just like (laughs) and if you feel mad at all then have you considered one of our trained therapists yeah I like how you're kind of whispering (laughs) I mean I'd literally just spoken to Johnny and Helena like the night before who had told me about getting like accosted by someone coming out of that caravan I was Mm -hmm. I felt very nervous approaching it Mm mm-hmm Another sign was pinned to a tree as we walked up the hill. It had the Phoenix Rose Group's logo, a purple, red and yellow heart on a blue and green circular background at the top. Here's how it read. Warning. We have been instructed by the local authority to cut this tree down, which has now been approved by the Peak Park Authority. Under the terms of our contract with the Stanton Estate over this land, we are required to comply. Due to bird nesting and bat compliance guidelines issued by the authorities, this tree's execution will not take place until 31st October 2022. Until then, please be extra vigilant around this tree as it is not our intention to cause harm, injury or loss to our fellow man or woman. And if we have caused you any harm, injury or loss to date, then we apologize for this was not our intention. Cressbrook Dale Estate private members association i mean just petty just i hope there are direct energy weapons i think (laughs) i think we need we need some help here but we would need more advanced ones because clearly they can't figure out how to do the energy weapons without destroying the area and setting it on fire yeah no we need to we need the trees to actually be in control of it and develop it and just get rid of everybody else yeah we do need the the bats yeah yeah we need the trees to come alive like lord of the rings and pick (laughs) certain people up and entangle them in their branches and feed on them okay It seemed clear to me that it wasn't only the villagers' actions which had contributed to the siege mentality indicated by the signs all over Cressbrookdale. The new landowners had clearly experienced friction with the Peak District National Park authorities as well. The part of Cressbrookdale that Phoenix Rose had purchased isn't part of the extremely well-protected nature reserve right next door, but it is categorised by the Peak District National Park Authority as a natural zone. This means that it is recognised by the authority as particularly important to conserve and thus highly protected from obvious signs of human influence. 
It was the village's contention that things like the new gravel car park, the steps and the caravan all constituted breaches of this protection. At the time of our visit, the authorities had issued a temporary stop notice and a planning contravention notice to the landowners, essentially requiring them to stop all works and submit a proposal of their plans for the site in order to gain planning permission. They had not responded. When I spoke to some of the villagers over Zoom in November this year for a catch-up chat, I was told that with the exception of the caravan, which had been removed, all of the offending changes to the land remained in place, despite objections from both the locals and written warnings from the Peak District National Park Authority. These changes included the steps, a teepee, a gravel car park and path. When I spoke to John, the chair of the Save Crestbrookdale campaign, he told me he was aware that from an outsider's perspective, none of the changes the new landowners had made sounded particularly dramatic or imposing, but that the locals essentially didn't trust that they would stop there. Just the other thing to say about uh, the works on the land, we are very conscious that those items in themselves are quite minor, apart from the car park probably, Um, but they appeared in the context where the published prospectus of this group had a million pound business plan, which included 90,000 pounds worth of movable structures. And I think it was 30,000 pounds worth of um, solar and wind energy. So this was just the first early steps of this development. So I'm sure that the, the Peak Parks action was in light of the anticipation of all these other things happening as well. Here's Jenny getting me up to speed on what happened with the Peak Park Authority since we visited. So what happened next is that in April, the Peak Park issued a proper planning enforcement notice for the removal of the TP, the hard stand parking, the path and the steps, the path to the TP and the steps that they'd put in. So they sent it on the 6th of April. It took effect on the 22nd of May and basically gave them six months to remove all the engineering. So three months to remove the engineering works and then another three months to restore the land to its original state. They completely ignored any of that. They haven't acknowledged any of it. They've they've done absolutely nothing to comply with any of that enforcement notice. The enforcement notice sent by the Peak Park Authority in April used pretty strong language, saying that the changes to the site by the landowners, quote, failed to respect or enhance the character of their surroundings and have a significant harmful effect on the character and appearance of the landscape. The deadline to reinstate the land to its original condition was November 22, 2023. Since this deadline has been and gone with seemingly no change, the Derbyshire Times published this comment from a Peak Park Authority spokesman. The National Park Authority understands that conditions at the site remain largely unchanged from previous officer visits and site assessments. We have slash will shortly be writing to the landowner with information on how the authority intends to take action in respect of the unauthorized activity and additions to the site and its reinstatement. Rachel got in contact with the same newspaper to ask that they publish her own response, in which she seemed to suggest that anybody from the Peak Park Authority who attempted to enforce any kind of action on the land themselves would be treated as trespassing. I believe that all the enhancements we have made to the land we collectively own at Crestbrook Dale are well within our lawful rights as landowners. As far as I am aware, we have not given consent nor permission for any third party to trespass upon, touch, nor make any alterations to our property. Any such acts would therefore be criminal and, as such, will be reported to the police. Oh, my God. It's like if all the different hobbits were reporting each other to the police. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're an enemy of the Shire. (laughs) (laughs) This response seemed to get to the heart of the villagers' problem with relying on the legal authorities to resolve their dispute. 
it seemed to be becoming increasingly apparent that a lot of the Peak Park's power relies on them dealing with people who actually respect that authority. In my latest update from the villagers, they told me that they were waiting now till January to see what enforcement action the official body would take, but many now seem resigned to the fact it would be a long and torturous process. This is how it, all it takes is just one radical. We can dismantle the entirety of UK society, which just relies on everybody <laughs> being rule followers. Yeah, I mean, I guess I am kind of learning that a lot of law just relies on a, a sort of honor system. Yeah. Essentially. That's right. In fact, it seems as if the group is continuing with their plans to build on the land. Although many of the locals have expressed their frustration with the lack of transparency about what the new landowners actually plan to do with Cressbrookdale, if you survey the various prospectus materials that have been sent out to potential investors, you can spot some subtle changes over the years. One that John had picked up on, and also seems most salient to me, is that the focus had shifted from the land as a source of agriculture to one of spiritual renewal, including new plans to create an interfaith chapel. The original project was to establish a self-sufficient eco-community farm on the land. And this was variously described as a haven uh, from the food apocalypse forthcoming, or a just a community farm or whatever. So it was very much focused on cultivation and community. But that morphed into something rather different, presumably when they started to experience uh, pushback from the Peak Park, because the, the land itself has got the highest level of um, environmental protection practically in the country, certainly in the Peak Park. And so none of the stated plans or objectives of the group would have been possible to achieve legally on this land. Anyway, that was phase one. <laughs> when that didn't go as planned, Rachel, who you mentioned, then started to shift the emphasis from agriculture onto some kind of spiritual haven. She infamously started referring to the, the Dale as um, a natural vagina and a, a natural temple. And I think it hasn't really developed very much beyond that now. There's virtually no mention of um, cultivation now. And bringing us right up to date, the latest wheeze is that um, there's this plan to create a multi-faith chapel of peace on the land on the basis that there, she says, or they say, that there are the foundations of a previous building which they're hoping to resurrect. Okay. It's not a farm, it's a vagina of the sacred <laughs> Lord upon us. <laughs> Almighty Q will be worshipped by people of all backgrounds in this chapel. The newcomers have set up a website titled Love Cressbrookdale, something I couldn't help but notice sounded like a slightly passive-aggressive mockery of the Save Cressbrookdale campaign website. Indeed, quite a lot of the Love Cressbrookdale site is dedicated to denouncing their campaign opponents. On the 7th of June 2022, our small community acquired 73 acres of land at Cressbrook Dale with the pure intention of protecting this natural temple for generations to come. Oh, how overjoyed, bright-eyed and full of optimism we were, with no set plan, save working capital budgets for what we imagined might be needed. Our intention was merely to rest here from time to time, to be in simple harmony with nature, to sing with the birds, to experience the majestic beauty of the trees and marvel at all the natural inhabitants. And live stream to Odyssey. <laughs> Sick drones upon our enemies. <laughs> we began to gather at weekends on our beautiful land and set about doing some maintenance tasks. We also put up a teepee tent so that we might have shelter as we journeyed with the land. Okay. Alas, we did not anticipate a tsunami of anger. 
fear, assumptions, and a myriad of what we perceive to be unreasonable demands from our new neighbors in the nearby village. Following this were official warnings and notices from local authorities, including around a hundred we counted most non-environmentally friendly white laminated plastic A4 sheets festooned across the entire 73 acres. And following this, a media frenzy that totally blew our minds for the sheer absurdity of what had been spoken with regards to our treatment and our plans for the land. Alas, it would appear that our road to peace and freedom would not be so easy. Man, it's like she kept her previous business and sold herself the experience of uh, being in a feud with a village. <laughs> <laughs> on the same site, they confirmed their plans to build the chapel. This was published on the 22nd of October this year, so about a month before the Peat Park Authority's final deadline to return the land to its original state. We're excited to announce that the ongoing Cressbrookdale estate community agreed this week that we will restore the building we have discovered at Cressbrookdale as an interfaith chapel for peace. We've been inspired by the many chapels which can be found around the British Isles and beyond. This feels important, not only given the horrors which are unfolding in the Middle East, but also the ongoing unprovoked attacks, hatred, theft, vandalism, and blatant propaganda which we are experiencing from what would appear to be a small minority of somewhat militant and seemingly heartless-slash-joyless local people. Oh, yes, definitely. I think... Uh, heartless and joyless. I think the, uh, the Palestinian people are turning to each other very frequently and saying, you know, I mean, I would believe in our cause if only we were joined by Derbyshire. Uh, <laughs> if only Crestbrook Dale was behind us and had an interfaith <laughs> chapel. Yeah, it's funny. She often will, when she walks the land and does her, her live streams and videos, she'll often kind of bring up current events. And in particular, yeah, she did a whole video about Israel and Gaza where she kind of compared the conflict with the, the sort of dispute over boundaries that she's having with the oh, locals. Oh, fuck. Bef right before off. then, it was Ukraine, obviously, as well. Oh, fuck right off, Rachel. The site has, at the time of recording, not been updated to address or reflect the Peak Park Authority's enforcement notices. Rachel also rarely brings them up in videos, except for slightly indirect asides, which don't exactly make clear the precise nature of their complaints. Derbyshire, uh, along with many other places in the, in the UK, were the site of the first Industrial Revolution back in the 1770s, with all of the um, machinery and engineering coming online, and um, the mills and the spinning jenny and all of these inventions... And then the second Industrial Revolution took place in the 19th century, in the Victorian era, with the advent of uh, trains and railways, because, of course, it meant that uh, all of these goods and uh, things like the cotton uh, could be brought in from the uh, Manchester docks into places like Crestbrook uh, for the mills. So this, uh, this was the second Industrial Revolution in the 19th century. And, of course, if... If there'd been uh, things like Peak Park, like planning regulations back in those days, there's no way on earth that uh, planning permission would ever have been given. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like for Mark Cuban to like move to my small village and start wandering the nearby forest, pretending he, he knows everything about the history and bi bitching about restrictions. Well, just you wait, Julian. You know, we've seen stranger things. That's right. I, I want to just put me in the shark tank. Yeah. <laughs> 
One thing many locals said to me that they didn't understand was why exactly Rachel and her group had bought this specific area of the dale, which was so highly protected, when there was surely lots of land in the area for sale, which would be better suited for their purposes. There is, after all, no shortage of disused farms where someone could grow food and construct buildings, with very little fuss from official bodies like the Peak District National Park Authority. Yeah, it turns out when you're yearning for an idyllic past in a kind of uh, pseudo-fascistic mm. way, yeah, you're going to go for, like, the forests. But you don't <laughs> think for a second, like, actually what we really want to do is, like, you know, build a small village and... You know, like none of these trees are going to be able to stick around if we're going to have a quote unquote food forest. And and then you're just in yeah. a, a never ending fight. And now it just feels like everybody, whether or not they want the thing that they're arguing for, is just going to argue the opposite of their opponent. So it should be fun. <laughs> It's a fair question and one that I think is worth exploring properly. When I'd first gone down to Cressbrook, I had assumed that this was because the new owners of the land expected an imminent societal collapse or food apocalypse, as Rachel had infamously put it in her first Facebook post, and therefore they put very little stock in what the Peak Park Authority or indeed any government body had to say. Put in simpler terms, if you think the end of the world is nigh, you're probably not going to be too fussed at making sure little things like parking fines are paid, for example. Having watched a few more of Rachel's videos now, I think their beliefs are actually more subtle than that. They are full of very dark predictions for the future, but they don't seem to be anticipating total civilizational breakdown so much as the slow dawn of a highly repressive, highly technologized society. Something which chimes with the things other interviews of mine have said at anti-Great Reset events like the 15-minute city protests in Oxford. Crucially though, Rachel often emphasises that there is hope for change at a local, communal level. Personally, I'm all in favour of people unplugging from city life and restoring their connection to, uh, to nature because, to me, that absolutely is our salvation with what is coming with this uh, digital everything. And especially if you live in a city where everything, even the supermarkets, it's kind of like... Uh, um, I mean, there's some model supermarkets now, aren't there, where you can basically don't even need to pay. You just uh, go in through some gates and um, take what you want from the shelves. And uh, the, all of the digital technology tracks it all and then debits your card. And you don't even have, there's no humans involved. Oh, my God. That's the way we're going, folks. Uh, so, well, that's that's the way the plan is wanting to go. But of course, uh, there are others who have a different vision for our collective future, which is a restoration of our connection to nature and working in local community, growing our own food. So we don't even have to go into one of those supermarkets and through local independent food networks and uh, doing things locally, basically. So we don't have to uh, be uh, subject to the whims of the corporatocracy. You, you're a fucking TV entrepreneur. Quit it with this bullshit. Knock it off. You don't know, don't know what you're talking about. That is true, although I think she has very much like rejected that, that part of her life. Okay, well, reject it coherently and, and admit that you don't want a local <laughs> community. You want, you want someone else's little forest. You, you, you approached <laughs> a local community that existed and in instantly got into conflict with them, which shows mm. that you're going to be incapable in the Mad Max future of, of anything. You can't collaborate. You, you, don't, have the, you don't have the chops. They, they would wipe you out. You'd be a slave in Bullet City or whatever. So convinced is Rachel of this capacity for a localised shifting consciousness to bring about a fundamental challenge to the dark plans of the system that she has decided to run for political office. See, I, see, there, there it is. 
There it is. Great. Oh, well, I suppose uh, if we're not going to be doing my beautiful hippie dream, I will rule over <laughs> all of you. <laughs> I will be writing the laws from now on. You know, if, you, if you've if you lived a media-addled life and you want to escape from that, you want to go to a, a quaint forest town, I sympathize. But the way to do it is to do it silently. <laughs> so, yes. you're un, so you're unnoticed. And so the locals only speak of you in whispers. Like, do you know that what they used to do? And so, uh, and then you don't you don't bother anyone, and then uh, and then uh, you'll be accepted because you'll be invisible. Yes, isn't there a bog where you could become a witch, and people would say that you eat children, and you just live in harmony with your herbs? This is an ancient tradition. This is what ha- has already happened to Travis, which is why he knows about it. Yeah, people- Travis is a witch. <laughs> yeah, people 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 walk around his small town. They go, "Did you hear?" Did you hear he was die? He was doxxed by the Washington Post. Yo, <laughs> yo, is is funny. My we have two markets in town, and one of them I got my first ever. Are you Travis View moment? Uh oh. Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. I I got a recognized in the supermarket, and at the time I was like buying like a bag of chips and a bottle of wine. I didn't even have a good card. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder, why yes? Why yes? Are those Wiccan me. tattoos all up and down your arms? No? <laughs> What's up? Rachel's first political affiliations were with the Freedom Alliance Party, a national anti-lockdown political party. Due to some interpersonal drama between her, her then-partner, and her local branch, which we sadly don't have time to go into here, she ended up shifting directions and co-creating the Love Party instead. Here's how the Love Party's website introduces its political platform. Do you realize that if the 74.2% who have lost faith slash interest in the political system decided to vote for independent candidates who truly stood for the people rather than WEF-aligned big corporate interests, that the old two-party-dominated political system would be swept away overnight? Although love, liberation, opportunity, vitality, empowerment, started out with the intention of becoming a registered political party, we quickly realized that the Electoral Commission is no longer fit for purpose and that we would be far more powerful operating as a wave of independent candidates rather than as a political party. God damn it. They always end up doing like weird botched leftism. Also doing the the classic political rhetoric trick of being like, oh yeah, the 75% of people who don't vote, it's because they all agree with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The (laughs) silent majority. Yeah. You are, you are Nixon. Rachel ran as a candidate in the local council elections for Bakewell this year, and given the fact her party was both very recently created and not actually registered with the Electoral Commission, won a pretty respectable 175 votes. 6% of the overall ballot count. I mean, this is a a size and scale where you could probably just ply every person separately with baked goods. I mean, you could take (laughs) take over this place in a kind of, you know, in a kind of small way. It's, It's not so hard. The approach to politics and law that's emerging here might strike you as a pretty strange and contradictory one. On the one hand, rejecting the political system as totally corrupt and illegitimate, while also trying to run for office within it. This contradiction also seemed to be mirrored in the group's approach to Cressbrookdale itself. The landowners were firmly ignoring everything they were sent by the Peat Park Authority, and in fact leaving signs around the place which put authority itself in inverted commas when describing them, and yet they were clearly more than happy to work with the police when it came to reporting alleged instances of harassment or vandalism, or threatening would-be trespassers on the land. I think at least some, if perhaps not all, of these contradictions can be resolved when you understand a little more about the pseudo-legal philosophy that the landowners had discovered known as common law. 
As the Love Crestbrookdale website states, Every enhancement we've made, every step we plan to take, falls within the embrace of our common law rights as landowners, and we continue to strive towards effective land management and security in harmony with the principles that guide us. Crestbrook Dale Estate stands as a private members association rooted in the principles of common law. Embracing this ethos means embracing your sovereign rights and responsibilities. Closely related to the sovereign citizen movement, this philosophy essentially holds that there are certain rhetorical strategies which a person can learn and utilise in order to essentially nullify the power of any legal or governing body over their own personal autonomy. Since the purchase of Cressbrookdale, I've noticed this idea becoming a more and more frequent topic in Rachel's videos. You know, the people have the power and the system, and the electoral system, uh, all the systems, they rely on consent. They rely on consent of the people. So what happens when the people remove their consent? Like, no, I don't, I don't understand. I don't consent. I don't agree to this anymore. Um, essentially, uh, we have a reversion to our common law rights. So everything that people say, oh, it's illegal, no, it's unlawful. It's actually unlawful because our common law rights cannot be removed by any government or body or authority or institution. We only, um, they only have authority over us if we consent to it. And that is a, a little known thing that she won't be taught in school. But increasingly, people are waking up to their rights, to their common law rights. So... Uh, no one, just to repeat, no one has any authority over you unless you consent to it. Okay, if we remove these authorities, you realize you will be driven out of this town by force. These people <laughs> will, like, you would be long gone. They would have absolutely formed a small villager's militia and pushed you out. <laughs> like, the, your only fucking chance is that the cops can intervene. Come on. Yeah, but I think that's almost it in a way, isn't it? It's that under, I think, the philosophy that she's espousing here, which I have to admit, I've not looked deeply into the sovereign citizen movement or common law and stuff like that. It's sort of like, you know, the police can protect me because I consent to that. But, you know, the police cannot like infringe on, on me in any way because I do not consent to that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. It does. Yes. I mean, makes sense in... The yes. sense of that's what the philosophy is. In the sense that it's an incoherent, it it's coherent in its incoherency and ignorance. But yeah, you see this quite a lot. She'll often talk about various people in the um, anti-lockdown movement who have been arrested or, or something for, yeah, for, you know, kind of breaking the law in some way or another and sentenced. And she'll often say, oh, they clearly didn't know their common law rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. If you just fly the flag with the fringe and et cetera, et cetera, like, yeah, the, the courts just can't put you in jail. Try it, try it. <laughs> of all the locals I spoke to, there seemed to be a split on how exactly to reckon with the beliefs of their new neighbours. Many emphasised very strongly to me that they didn't care what Rachel and her comrades believed or didn't believe about COVID, the Great Reset or anything else. Their sole concern, they stressed, was the preservation of the land, a value which they felt that the newcomers had not shown sufficient respect for. Others, though, said that they felt deeply alarmed by what they had seen and heard people saying when they ventured online into the forums that Rachel and her followers used for community discussions. Anna is a university student who has been visiting Cressbrookdale her whole life. Like many other people I spoke to, she described to me how the arrival of the newcomers had created a shift in the tranquil, calm environment of the area. I think it makes everything very unsteady and strange. It's always been, and I think this is the same for everyone who has anything to do with the village. Like it feels a bit uncanny and a bit. It's just changed. The feelings change, and 
when you see Rachel and her people, you feel a bit, not intimidated, I'm not intimidated by them, but you just feel a bit uneasy, especially because of what I've, what I know about them. Anna, among with some other residents, has been keeping an eye on the Telegram channels that have been used by the group and their supporters. She explained to me that although the most common characterisation of Rachel Elnor and her online followers was that they were anti-vaxxers, she felt this understated some of the darker material that was being shared in these groups. So there's there's all your classic conspiracy stuff, there's a lot of QAnon, which is not a very English thing, <laughs> loads of QAnon, loads of sort of... Lo loads and loads of anti-vax. They don't like the idea of eating bugs. World Economic Forum, Great Reset. They all sort of merge into one thing, sort of anti-government, anti-healthcare, anti-cabal, um, anti-tax, anti-law, everything. They're sort of against everything. They make everything up. And any conspiracy theory that's out there, they're like, ah, yeah, that's right. That's just what we believe. So there's all that, and a lot of it I can take as pretty light-hearted. It's like, ugh, what are they? What are they believing now? What are they saying now about this? And everything comes out in the news. But then you're sometimes struck by the darker parts, like the anti-Semitism that comes alongside it, anti-LGBT, and I don't know, anti-immigration. Lots of these things that, unlike some of the hippie stuff, they're a lot more harmful and directed at certain people and identities and certain groups. When I asked Anna to show me some examples, she sent me a shed load of screenshots of various comments she'd found in the channels. These were undeniably horrific. Commenters said things like, quote, One thing I've learned over the last 15 years of research is that you cannot trust a Jew. And made reference to the royal family being crypto-Jews. In one discussion of the comedian Russell Brand, a commenter named Wayne wrote, Brand never mentions who's really pulling the strings. Equal the Zionists, the fake Jews, or further back the Khazarian mafia who have ruled the world for centuries. Okay. Now, one thing that's important to emphasise here is that Rachel hasn't posted any of this anti-Semitic material herself, and nothing she's said has given me reason to believe she endorses any of it. But these messages were all in a Telegram chat dedicated to followers of her channel, which is the same place where updates about Cressbrook and open invites to attend various events on the Dale are also regularly posted. It's easy to understand why many of the villagers were frightened by the kind of politics that the newcomers were potentially attracting to their front door. This was particularly true for locals who were Jewish themselves, a couple of whom I spoke to but unsurprisingly given the circumstances asked not to be identified. Some of this encroachment had already happened in the online sphere. Jenny mentioned to me that the Save Cressbrookdale campaign received a threatening email from someone using their real name. When she investigated, the author turned out to be living with a signed-up member of the British National Party, an extreme far-right political party in this country. It was yet another example of how online conspiracy politics in the pandemic era had thrown together what seemed like completely separate ideological worlds peace and love New Age hippies alongside neo-fascists, all swimming together in one big online soup. To Anna, the convergence of ideologies only made this brand of conspiracy culture more dangerous. She worried that the New Age hippie-ish language and aesthetics that the newcomers employed on their promotional materials, videos and website ran the risk of masking the darker side of conspiracy politics that their project had invited into the village. But when I've been marshalling at Cressbrookdale, we just like stop cars and give some leaflets out and say, oh, check out our website and whatever. Some people are like, 
oh, they just sound like a group of hippies. Oh, they're just hippies. They're just, just like, let them be. It's just like a little eco farm. But then I sort of have to explain to them, like, oh, it's, it's not really that simple. And there's a much deeper and scarier uh, message behind all this. For now, it feels unclear how far the Cressbrookdale Estate Private Members Association will get in their stated plans to continue building on the land. Much like the online conspiracy subcultures they inhabit, the landowner's vision for the future seems constantly in flux. It's clear that they perceive the land to be a haven against the powerful forces of darkness that rule us, but its exact qualities seem to shift. Sometimes the dale is an eco-farm and food forest to sustain the community during upcoming food shortages. Sometimes it's more of a spiritual retreat to nourish the souls of anti-Great Reset activists before they go back into the corrupted, highly technologized society they despise. Much of Cressbrookdale's future depends on the Peak Park Authority's ability to enforce their demands on the landowners, and how exactly they intend to go about this with a group that declare themselves to be operating under a separate legal system. The locals who make up the Save Cressbrookdale campaign continue with their efforts to put pressure on the body to do something, and they tell me that there will be an announcement in January which will more or less say how they're planning to go ahead, but it feels to me like there won't be a dramatic finale to this saga, so much as a long and drawn-out conflict made up of several interconnected battles ongoing in the physical, online and legal sphere all at once. Some of you might be wondering why I've made you listen to two whole episodes about this highly localised feud in a part of the world where you're very unlikely to ever visit. Unless, of course, you're one of the blessed listeners of this podcast, lucky enough to hail from Derbyshire. I think the reason why I've been so fascinated with the story, following it for over a year now, is because of what it represents more broadly in terms of the rise of conspiracy politics. Most of us won't have the online conspiracy sphere arrive in our world as unavoidably and dramatically as the residents of Cressbrook, but more and more people seem to be becoming aware of the phenomenon as it bumps up in our day-to-day lives in unexpected ways. Increasingly, people are discovering that their friends, loved ones or neighbours have views that they can't understand or won't accept, and are looking for help on how to navigate that. Most of us like to think of ourselves as accepting and tolerant people, but we all have our limits, and it seems that those are being especially tested in the post-QAnon, post-COVID world. Cressbrook seems like an especially vivid example of this very common story, and so I'll keep watching to see what happens here, in case there's anything we can learn about the future of conspiracy politics in this country. It's a lesson which I increasingly believe is going to be relevant to us all. Yeah. And I mean, it affects you if you're one of the Canadians in that small town where, you know, one of the buildings was taken over by Queen Romana Didulo's uh, little QAnon cult. I mean, this is definitely a story that seems to be replicating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's also just a sort of a minor microcosm about why this podcast even exists in the first place. Is that, you know, there's some sort of like unwelcome invaders, not just in the physical space, but in the information space. And they, because they're so noisy, uh, they've become unavoidable. And you have to figure out mm. what the hell to do with them and how to live with them. I was really struck by some of the first locals who got in touch with me about this story, saying that, yeah, it was because of this happening that they'd had to research what the Great Reset was and QAnon, and that was how they discovered this podcast. And so now they were listening to this podcast, trying to understand what what was going on in their backyard. Welcome, fellow bog eaters. Yeah. (laughs) 
honestly, yeah, the majority of this, this podcast listeners are people who notice something weird online or among their friends and family and wondered what the hell they were talking about and then Googled mm-hmm. some of their the weird phrases that are emanating from their mouths and posts and then came across us to help uh, help help us and with the hope that we could uh, sort of explain what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, Travis will come and help you set up your um, militia. Yeah. <laughs> He's done it before. (laughs) Hi there, everyone. This is just a quick update from Annie about the situation in Crestbrookdale since we recorded this episode. At that time, I thought there wasn't going to be any further action on the issue until at least January, but events seemed to have overtaken me. On December the 6th, Rachel Alnor posted an open letter to the Secretary of State for Leveling Up, Housing and Communities, Michael Gove, in which she complained about what she called the unlawful, inappropriate and dispiriting actions of the Peak District National Park Authority, and heavily implied that they were corrupt. Either in response to this letter, or possibly just wanting to have taken some action by the end of the year, the Peak District National Park Authority seems to have decided to take the no more Mr. Nice Guy option. The Derbyshire Times reports that on the 14th of December, the authority confirmed that they had sent a team to remove the teepee and car park on site, with further works to remove the steps also scheduled. The chief executive of the authority, Phil Mulligan, said they were disappointed that the landowner had consistently refused to acknowledge the laws protecting the land. Rachel has only addressed this so far in a comment on one of her videos, in which she confirmed she had reported the matter as theft to the police, quote, citing Phil Mulligan as a prime suspect, end quote, and confirmed her plans to write to the chief executive demanding £25,000 in compensation, as well as his resignation. The resident who originally put me onto this story, who is also called Phil but is not the same person, said to me that the village were very pleased with this outcome, but were aware that it wasn't over yet. So that should fully bring us up to speed on the topic. A very happy new year to you all. Thanks for listening to another episode of the QAA podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash QAnonAnonymous and sign up for just five bucks a month to get all of our premium episodes, the entire archive. Uh, We put out one for every normal episode and all of our mini series. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy, it's fact. And now, today's auto cue. Two years old, they're being sacked. We're dealing with psychopaths and sociopaths in this government. They're heartless, they're soulless, they're controlled by the World Economic Forum, by the New World Order that wants to push through totalitarianism and we have to stand and say no we do not consent Australia not even allowed to compete.
Australian Open for holding his human rights. This is about our fight for liberty and freedom and humanity and we have to say no because unless we do this is going to creep and creep until we are completely controlled in a transhumanist nightmare and that is what is in store for our children unless we stand strong and say no.